0: This morning's reading is taken from the letter of James, chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, Considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace, raise a harvest of righteousness.
1: Have you ever had the experience of saying something out loud, or even catching yourself thinking something? and being horrified at yourself. On the summer camp that I help with uh, every summer, my role is Assistant Leader Leader, um, A-L-L. That is, I help with leading the A L S, Assistant Leaders, who are students who come to help with the cooking and the cleaning and various other practical duties so that the leaders can look after the campus. And as well as being great fun in all sorts of ways, our duties can range from the mundane, sweeping, mopping, hoovering, to the pretty grim, handling food waste, emptying overflowing bins into overflowing skips, cleaning to unblocking toilets, and that sort of thing. Now, the ALLs, uh, we also run some extra teaching sessions for the ALs on top of the the talks aimed at the campus. and I tend to do one or two of the longer Bible talks, um, 45 minutes or so on a passage or a topic, and the year that I'm thinking of, I'm pretty sure they were on Hebrews. And I was fairly confident that I had a couple of pretty good talks. One evening after dinner I'd sent the ALs off to uh, the evening meeting and I'd stayed behind to finish cleaning the kitchen and having done that and as I was walking along the corridor to the meeting I remember catching myself thinking I shouldn't have to do these kinds of jobs, I'm a preacher. In effect Yes, it's right that people sit and listen as I preach from Hebrews for 45 minutes, as I share my great wisdom with them. But I shouldn't have to scrape their plates or clean their toilets. And as I heard myself think that thought, my own arrogance took my breath away. You can see why I was horrified to realise what I was thinking. Because in order to think that in the first place, there must have been a sense in which my heart really believed that, believed that I was in some sense above doing the menial work. Otherwise, such a thought would never have popped into my head in the first place. Today's passage begins with these words, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it not first and foremost by their preaching, not by their teaching, not by their books or their blog posts they write, but let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. First and foremost, James says, show that you are wise by letting humility shape every good deed you do. What would James have said of my attitude that summer? And let's say, for the sake of argument, I preached a couple of great talks, the best two talks I've ever preached. James would have said, sure, you have some Bible knowledge. Okay, you can string a sentence together. Admittedly, most people in the room stayed awake. But you're not wise because you're not humble. That is our first and biggest point today. If we are truly wise, we will be truly humble. If we are truly wise, we will be truly humble. Initially, this point was, if you're wise, be humble. But that's too weak. James is clear. True wisdom shows itself in humility. And notice that James hasn't actually told us what to do, but rather how to do everything we do in humility. As one of the commentators puts it, James here offers us an ethic not of do this or do that but of the sort of people we are to be whatever we do everything is to be done in humility and to really understand james's point we need to think a bit about wisdom and a bit about humility the book of james is strongly influenced by two main sources the teaching of jesus and the wisdom literature of the old testament in particular if you know the book of proverbs well then as you read through james you will hear echo upon echo from its teaching james's three big concerns laid out for us at the end of chapter one the tongue the poor and powerless and the morally pure life are all huge themes in proverbs even the way that james writes with short punchy statements and very little nuance is very proverbs like and proverbs of course is very concerned with wisdom hence the term Wisdom literature, and if you know any statements about wisdom from the Old Testament, well, you'll definitely know this one. And uh, here we go let's try a moment of group participation. And um, what does the Bible say is the beginning of wisdom? Oh yeah, I think I heard Michelle uh, from downstairs. And um, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm one hundred eleven, uh, verse ten. Proverbs one seven. Proverbs nine ten. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's a neat little saying, easy to remember, trips off the tongue. But have you ever stopped to think, why? Why is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? Well, wisdom, in the Bible sense, is to live in the world in a way that correlates with reality. To speak, and act, and work, and live, and to do everything we do such that we are cutting with the grain of nature and humanity, and not against it. For example, Proverbs 20 verse 4 says, sluggards do not plough in season, so at harvest time they look, but find nothing. You see, the wise person knows that unless you plough your fields and plant your crops in season, nothing will grow. The sluggard is too lazy. And so when he goes to his field in harvest time, having not ploughed, well, then there'll be nothing there. Now, that's not universally true in life. Some who are lazy manage to cruise through life very well. Others who work hard struggle greatly. But in general, in our world, those who are wise, those who think and plan ahead and work hard will receive a greater reward than those who are lazy and those who refuse to put in the work. And that's true whether or not we fear God, that's just the way that the world is. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, because the ultimate reality is God. If wisdom is living in line with reality and God is the ultimate reality, well then it makes sense that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the truly wise person speaks and acts and works and lives and does everything with God in mind. And that will breed humility. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom doesn't just mean simply, be careful, big brother is watching you. But it means that the reality of God, in his nature, in his power and his mercy, in his wrath and his grace, The reality of God will infuse everything that we do. Christian humility comes from understanding our position as sinful creatures in relationship to the glorious and majestic God. It recognises how unable we are in and of ourselves to achieve spiritual fulfilment or to chart our own course in the world. And what James is saying here is that this humility towards God should then translate into humility towards others. Well, humility, uh, it's not very popular, is it? It wasn't in James's day either. Um, The dominant morality of the day associated humility with meanness and grovelling. One of the commentators again says, it is linked with adjectives like ignoble, abject, servile. In fact, the Greek philosopher Epictetus names humility first, in a list of moral faults. Now, we wouldn't be so brazen today as to describe humility as a moral fault, but think of the rich, think of the powerful, think of the famous, think of many who would like to be thought of as wise, as experts. Well, how many of their lives show that they truly value humility? But we follow a saviour who said, Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart." And for us, following the footsteps of a humble and gentle master, humility is so fundamental as Christians because it's a test of whether we have truly understood the Gospel. That is why chapter 4 God opposes the proud but gives favour to the humble. Because if we're proud, then we will refuse to come to God for the grace he offers. But if we are humble, then we see the need and we welcome the salvation that God offers. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from true wisdom. Well, that's the first verse of our passage, and we're going to quite quickly move through the remainder of the verses and then think about a real world application so firstly true wisdom if we're truly wise we will be truly humble secondly if we're not humble we should just keep quiet but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast about it or deny the truth if a person harbors bitter envy and uh, selfish ambition in their heart that person is effectively living a lie Claiming to be wise, but conducting themselves in a way that denies that claim, bitter envy, i.e. wanting the position of another, selfish ambition to be prepared to push someone else down instead, in order to push ourselves forward, shows a complete lack of humility, and therefore a complete lack of wisdom. And so James says, don't boast about it, stay quiet. Don't push yourself forward into leadership if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not push yourself forward and therefore deny your own claim to be wise. And this is so vital because the damage that such wisdom will do is crippling. The fruit of earthly wisdom is division, disorder and evil. Verse 15, such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. What is the result of such wisdom? This wisdom that doesn't come down from heaven or from God. And wisdom that their demonic description is the same kind of knowledge as we saw in chapter 2, verse 19, a knowledge that results in no change of life. Well, selfish ambition speaks of uh, factional, uh, creating factions and, and trying to gather a party around yourself in order to advance your own position. Uh, James, it seems, there are some within the church who are pride themselves on their wisdom and understanding and they are seeking to win people to their cause and promote their own um, reputations, keen to gather others to their, um, to their party. And so ultimately, then, the fruit of this earthly wisdom, this envy, this selfish ambition, is division, disorder and every evil practice. But the fruit of heavenly wisdom, James says, is peace and righteousness. Verse 17, the wisdom that comes down from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive or open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness james has told us what the wisdom from above is not in verses 15 and 16 now he tells us in verses 17 18 what it is or indeed what it does what is the fruit of this wisdom again like the faith of chapter 2 verse 14 to 26 where true faith issues in action in deeds true wisdom is identified by the quality of life that it produces and james's overarching concern is for peace peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness because this peace which genuine humble wisdom can bring to the community this peace creates an environment in which righteousness can grow. Whereas in, chap- in verse 16, rather, envy and selfish ambition lead to disorder, division, and chaos, in which everyone does what is right in their own eyes, and any and every sin can grow without restriction. Where there is wisdom and humility leading to peace, there will be a harvest of righteousness as each of us helps one another. To grow and to live in faith and holiness. So, if we think of ourselves as in any way wise, what does it mean for us to be humble? Well, it should mean that the words arrogant Christian should be a contradiction in terms. How can we be arrogant in ourselves? proud of our knowledge or even proud of our deeds when the heart of the faith we profess is that we ourselves are not good enough for God. The heart of our faith is that the perfectly humble, perfectly righteous, perfect in speech and love and deed, perfect in every possible way, Son of God, had to die in our place to make us acceptable to his father how then could we possibly look around at others in the church who have exactly as little right in themselves as we do and exactly as much right in jesus as we do to call themselves christians we are just as sinful and no more righteous than these brothers and sisters in Christ. So how can we look down on them, or tread on them, to achieve our aims? How could we be willing to cause division amongst God's people, amongst God's family, in order to advance ourselves, or advance our cause? Now it will be that within the church, occasionally we'll look around and we'll think, do you know what? I could do that job better than the person who's doing it. Or, I think this would be a better way of doing things than the way that they are currently done. And we may be right. And sometimes it might be great to suggest that as an alternative. But if we then go further, that easy one step further of thinking ourselves better than those we disagree with. Perhaps we suggest our plan and it's not taken up, or that person carries on doing that job, and we then begin to look down on them, look down on those who are in charge. Well, let's make this real. As a case study, what are we going to do as a church when the new doors get installed? You may remember that we did a a little survey amongst the church as to which option we'd like to go for, and there were six different options: uh, the no glass option, the all glass option, or four different some glass options. And when we did a survey of all the options, of all the opinions in the church, there was a surprisingly even spread across all six options. And what that means is, when the new doors get put in. They will be the first choice of a minority of the church. Most of us will not be getting our first choice. And it may be that when the doors go in, we say, Marvellous, that's great. They look really good. That's so much better than the thing that I chose. I freely admit that I chose badly. Or it may be that we say to ourselves, Actually, I think my choice would have been much better than what we've than what we've got and if that's as far as we go and we think do you know what might be better but that's fine then well that's fine and at this point it's probably helpful to say that the option we've gone with on the doors was not my first choice and thinking it all through we've not seen them yet but i'm still pretty sure that i would prefer my first option than what we're going to get and so when those doors get put in i have a choice if i still think my option's better Do I go around telling everyone that my option would have been much better? This was a terrible decision. Telling uh, that everyone else on the PCC was wrong, that the leadership of the church was wrong, everyone who disagrees with me is clearly a fool. And gather a little group around me who are of the same opinion so that we can grumble together against this terrible decision. Or will I be truly wise? Will I be humble? Will I say, okay... It wasn't my first choice, but it was the decision of the PCC, ultimately. This is the way things are now, so let's get on with loving one another and seeking to do the work that God has given us. And that kind of thinking could apply to anything. Style of music, style of the service, arrangement of the flowers, arrangement of chairs and pews, chairs versus pews. And if your immediate thought as i mention any of those topics is yeah those people who disagreed with me should have been more humble and let me have my way then of course we're still not understanding what james has said if we are truly wise we will be truly humble and if as a community we live out that humble wisdom together what a harvest of righteousness we could see. It might mean getting our own way less. It might mean things being done our favoured way less often. It might mean us not having the jobs or the roles that we'd quite like to have, that we think we'd do really well. It might mean that over a lifetime, we achieve less of our agenda but God achieves more of his agenda in our lives what an aspiration not to get our way not to make our plans succeed force through our vision of the department we run at work or the church that we are a part of whatever the human cost however many injured people we leave in our wake but to be open to God's work in our lives to make us truly wise to make us truly humble let's make that our prayer and for righteousness to grow in our midst father thank you for these words of james challenging words again and would you work in us by your word through your spirit would you humble us Show us again in the mirror of your word, our unrighteousness, your glory. And so we pray, make us truly humble before you and before others. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.